Good afternoon, everyone. Hi. I'm a little interactive. I'm sorry. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you all so much for tuning in and for being here today. Um, today's conversation is on Black trans women and self-love. Um, my name is Arya Saeed. Um, and I am filling in for the Michelle Meow, covering the LGBT LMNOP. Oh, wait, I'm trying to get it right. <laughs> I tried to memorize it. <laughs> um, but I want to thank um, Michelle and the Commonwealth Club and John for having us here in the space today. Um, on this conversation are two other incredible women that I'm really excited to share in conversation with on this topic because I feel like in a lot of ways we've had this conversation with each other um, sort of by accident and we wanted to have a dedicated space to have these kind of conversations and expand what it means for self-care and self-love. And so all the way from Houston, Texas, is Ms. Diamond Styles. Um, Hi. <laughs> um, for those who may not know, Diamond is a world-class YouTube personality and activist. Yeah. Um, she has been on the YouTube airways um, for almost over a decade. Yeah. Over a decade now. Um, and has garnered 2.3 million views on her channel, um, covering sort of what I call like lifestyle blogging of, of the transgender experience um, as a black trans woman. And um, she has done so many other things in addition to that, working in media and um, recently being appointed as executive director of Black Trans Women, Inc. in Dallas, Texas, which is a national advocacy project um, that is responsive to the needs of Black trans women across the United States. And then last but not least, we also have Miss Brianna McCree of Oakland, California. Yes. <laughs> um, Brianna is like sister kin to me. I've known her since... Ooh, a really long time. We're not going to, you know, uh-uh. <laughs> she's only, she's only 16. Um, just kidding for those listening in. She actually has been a staple of the Oakland transgender community for over 20 years um, in Oakland, California, and has done really incredible work um, in uplifting a framework for black trans women's empowerment um, through her work in HIV prevention and research. And a lot of the work that she's done has now sort of evolved to work that CDC has adapted and replicated in Brazil and South America and um, South Africa for trans people. And so um, she's also someone who, as a person, just genuinely um, wants to empower other trans women and, and does so through her lectures and stuff towards me, especially. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'm really grateful that we get to have this conversation. Um, like I um, was saying, we are an interactive group. So we don't want to actually talk at you. We just want to kind of have conversation uh, with you all. And so there is a microphone um, towards the back. Um, and Or actually, there's a 
microphone that will sort of go around. But our hope is that um, that as we chat, that um, if you have a question that comes up or a point um, that you want to add in, uh, that you do so um, instead of waiting until the end, which is usually a format that tends to happen. Um, but since we're being intimate and um, yeah, just thought that would be really nice. So throwing that out there for folks. Um, and, oh, important plug is um, I am a co-founder and the executive director of the world's first transgender district, which is here in San Francisco. Um, uh, that I got a chance to co-found with um, two other amazing, brilliant trans women, Honey Mahogany and Janetta Johnson. Um, and so our work um, happens in the Tenderloin, and we are uh, doing programs like this to activate a conversation and community and camaraderie. And so we have upcoming events um, that we promote on our Instagram and Facebook. And so if you just Google Transgender District, it, it comes up. Um, so please support that work, as well as the work of Queen Culture Initiative, which is a social and cultural empowerment project for black trans women. Yay. Plugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just wanted to start our conversation with um, actually a very simple um, question, which would just be, what does self-love mean for black trans women? Um, many people saw the advertising that we were doing and promotion of this event. And even me, I was like, well, what does it mean? And so I'm hoping that we can explore that. Yeah, so um, for me, self-love started to look like when I got tired of just really being sick and tired of this roller coaster that I was on. You know, coming, I was born in the 70s, so growing up in the early 70s and visibly being different, you're always told something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. And then being in school and learning that I was dyslexic just added more fuel to the fire. Something's wrong with you. You're not trying hard enough. You're not doing your best. And so, and then living in a small town where people knew your parents. Mm -hmm. People went to school with your parents. The teachers taught your parents. And so your parents are these role models in community and society and you're not living up to their potential so it's like I just hated myself and so I did things because of that hatred of self mm -hmm. so going through life and situations of turmoil and trauma and existence and getting into these situations where you just accepted and expected the worst because you thought the worst of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I had to get tired of that. And so I had to stop and was like, well, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Because when you dislike yourself, you create this facade of it's always somebody else's fault. Right. It's never your fault. It's always someone else's fault. And I was like, what can I do to fix me? Because drugs didn't do it. Men didn't do it. Mm. You know, having a personal shopper at Neiman Marcus didn't do it. <laughs> Sex work didn't do it. What do I need to do 
to fill up this gap, this hole that I have. And I had, I had to radically think about what is love for me? And so I had to cut off people and places and things to dig myself out of this hole of darkness and fill that up with light. So, you know, I said I was dyslexic in the beginning. So I had to learn, really, because books and words look like monsters on a page. It was horrible to look at and to feel that. But I was like... I need to do something. I couldn't get it from the people that I were around because they were part of the problem. They were also living this facade. Mm. And I was like, I need to take this mask off. Mm. And so I need to stop, started peeling the layers off to just become this numb and raw person. And then you start to feel things. And so how do I deal with these feelings that I am having? So I started reading this book by Iyanla Van Zandt. And so I had to not only read it once, but twice. I, had, I think I read that book like four times yeah. because I really needed to get it. And one of the things that she said was, you know, your, your life is kind of like a, a house. And so where are you in your house? And so are you in the basement of your house where everything is dark and all the people around you are just dark? And I was like, I'm in the basement of my life. <laughs> How do I get out of the basement of my life? How do I get out of this dark place? Because I'm a child of light. You know, I, I love the light. I'm a flower and flowers can't really grow in basements. So how do I start cleaning out this darkness inside of me? So I had to start loving myself. And what that looked like for me was just sometimes not always reacting and figure out self first. And so I had to just start to figure out what I needed for me. And so I had to be very selfish with my opinions and my friendships and who I was and my emotions and feelings because I needed to build that up for me. I needed to start to build in my self-love because I was taught that I wasn't worthy of self-love. So I had to clean out my basement and clean out all of the things that I was told as a child that I wasn't worthy of love and respect and family and friends and memories. You know, I, I didn't think I would live to be almost 50 and have memories. Because you're told that a trans person, especially in the 70s, at, 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 in the 80s, that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. All of y'all are dying. You're not going to live. And I remember my dad said when I said, you know, I want to be a woman. And he was like, well, you can't do that here. You have to leave. And he mentioned someone later on in the family that had left and they weren't doing good. And he just spoke all these negative things. And looking back, I get it. He wanted the best for me and he was scared for me. But just to fill me with more negativity, you know, it, it was just really hard. And so I had to shake all of that negativity and hang out with people that were filled with light and filled with love. I remember when I was still doing drugs. And so I was like, 
well, I'm working in this field. I can't go into a program. People know me as the counselor. I can't go into a program. So I was like, but I would get a job at the program. And I would sit in on sessions about um, DBT and de-escalation and how to rebuild your life and shake the drugs. Because it was not only drugs that I was shaking, but it was all those layers of darkness. Mm. And so learning all the tools that I learned at that job, thank you, whatever the name of that job was, but thank you for that. (laughs) That's what helped me to start rebuild my foundation and move me out of the basement of my life. Mm -hmm. So that's where my self-love journey began. Gosh, I I love the word that you used, um, radical, because for me, Self-love for me is just a radical dedication to loving yourself and bucking up against the system that says that you're not beautiful enough, that you're not smart enough, that you are not enough at all. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, my my mother having, I was her firstborn, um, firstborn boy, and for her... She instilled an an initial foundation of self-love. You are beautiful. I come from a Mississippi color struck family, so you're light-skinned, so ooh, oh, we love you. (laughs) (laughs) So so I I can't say that I didn't have a mother who didn't say I was beautiful or didn't say that I was loved and da-da-da-da. I did have that privilege of having that. But once transition started, all of that shit went away, not necessarily, either got muted or mm-hmm. um, muted or totally taken away. Yeah. Once I transitioned, then coming into, uh, leaving the privilege of maleness and giving up whatever the spoils that you get as a male. Because usually they're like, okay, you're going to be this football player. You're going to be this okay. thing and you're going to get it. <laughs> I even remember going to church and there was a guy who was like 18 when I was like nine. And he, because he performed masculinity so well, he would get like the the beautiful perks. I mean, like the church ladies give him extra chicken. <laughs> they he get to sit where he wanted to sit. He just, all the spoils of of whatever you get as a masculine person. And then me as a nine-year-old child, a nine-year-old feminine mm-hmm. child, no, 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 they were policing me. It was, no, 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 sit still. Don't be talking like that. Put some bass in your voice. And it was all this policing of, you are not what we want you to be, what we thought you were going to be when you were born and da-da-da-da-da. Right. You are not doing, you're not performing this man stuff good enough, baby. And we want to put you in the suits. <laughs> we want to put you in the navies and the browns. And, the <laughs> and that's literally, I remember, uh, they t- my, my my mother never was particularly religious, but my aunt, she was like, oh, I'm going to save you from this heathen household that your mother got you in to take you to church. And I went to an apostolic Pentecostal church where the 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 <laughs> where the women wear the jean skirts and to the floor. To the floor. <laughs> no skin. Right. None at all. And I remember they were like, okay, we're going to take you and put you into this boys camp. And Everything that they did at the boys' camp was intended to masculinize me. They wanted me to shoot guns. They wanted me to fish. They wanted me to swim. And what's crazy is 
I outdid every boy in the camp because I come from country Mississippi women. We shoot guns. Mm. I come from country Mississippi women. We fish. I come from country Mississippi women. We swim and jump in the lake and eat clay and do all kinds of <laughs> stuff that y'all clearly considering masculine. But as a black Mississippi woman, we do all of that. <laughs> and so I grew up doing that with my great aunt and my grandmother and my mother and doing all these things. So y'all put me in this. I think I'm going to be super uncomfortable, but I know how to do all of this. And I still got a twang. <laughs> I still was giving them femininity. So y'all thought that this was going to save me. And it didn't save me at all I really they were trying almost to set me up to be teased like right. oh we know you gonna come and be oh, the fish the worms Mm-mm, I was putting them on the hook wearing it out and so nothing that they tried to do undid my femininity this was the natural this was naturally in me it wasn't going anywhere and then in that time, I didn't have the language of transness. I right. didn't have the language. I didn't have lived experience. I didn't know any of those concepts and those theories. But once I once I did, and I and I and I engaged um, with living my truth, and I started to you know just live the truth that I felt was innately in me, then it totally switched. No, you're gonna get AIDS because I grew up in my I come I came to fruition in the, in the early '90s. And it was, you're going to get AIDS. You see all these people that just died in the end of the 80s and the early 90s and da-da-da-da-da. You're going to get AIDS. You're not going to be able to get a job. Nobody is going to love you. Oh, girl. And all of these things, these messages that said that, you know, nobody is going to love you. We don't love you. Worthy. <laughs> you're not worthy. And so... For me, self-love and and then even coming into black womanhood, mm. the images of beauty around, Ugh. you know, just what beauty is and Say what beauty that. looks like. As a as a I didn't want to look like back in the y'all remember how white now they looking kind of tan and brown. <laughs> da, 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 da. But white <laughs> girls, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> white girls with flat booty up and down and back back in eighties and nineties, it just was a different image. Right. And that was the standard. That's what you saw on the TV. That's what you saw on in the Revline ads. And my type of woman who I wanted to be, who I admired, was not the pinnacle. No. It was not the pinnacle. I didn't want. I didn't want to be skinny. I wanted to be thick because in my culture, you know, I wanted to be thick, <laughs> and so that's that's what it was. And so going into into battling not only the gender thing but also the racial thing, and all of these image come come up. And I think that's what. And then as a queer person, the love that you want. I had the same because I watched the same movies and I watched the same. I wanted that white picket fence. I wanted to get married. I wanted to, I wanted to have kids. I wanted to do all these things. But your queer love is not okay. It is against nature. It is so everything about me, where everywhere that I intersect, said that you are not going to get love. You're not going to deserve love. And so self love for me was bucking up against that and radically saying, I am who I am. I'm going to love it. As a trans person, really transition is focused on your flaws, what you don't have. Is your, is your brow bone too big? Is your Adam apple showing? Are you too tall? Mm. Uh, all the things that, are your feet too big? Are your hands too big? Whatever that may be. So transition was about fixing all of that stuff. So that also wasn't affirming in regards to, in regards to loving yourself. Right. So I had to say, 
once I got to the point where, okay, I'm tired. I'm some things I'm not, you know, the serenity prayer. Some things I can't change. <laughs> Something I can't change. And accepting them is a part of that radical self-love. It's like, okay, I am where I'm going to be now that I'm almost going into 40. I, I am where I'm going to be and I love myself. Anything that is right now, I'm going to love myself radically and not let any of the images, any of the um, internal dialogue, outer dialogue, all of that stuff, that stuff doesn't matter. Because if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't care for yourself, there's tons of people who are not going to, you know, support you. Right, <laughs> definitely. So why not be your own cheerleader? And that to me is what self-love is. Being my own cheerleader and letting myself know, regardless of what I see, the images or whatever, you are worthy of the love. And it starts with you, and then you demand it from everybody else. I love how you said it starts with you. Because it does. Yes. Because if you don't fill up that hole for yourself, nothing that you can fill up that hole. It's nobody else's responsibility. Say that again. (laughs) Say that again. Nobody else's responsibility. Because we will make it somebody else's responsibility. Let me go out and get me a man, because he going to help me fix myself. (laughs) He going to make me look good and feel good about myself. But that's putting too much pressure on somebody else. That's not their responsibility. Yep. That is not that. Come on, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but when was that sort of pivotal moment that shifted you into saying, I'm all that I have. I have to be my own cheerleader. I'm responsible for myself. Like, what What did? What was that specific moment? Oh, I remember it. Mine, particularly like it was yesterday. I was 26. My mother... was caught up in the prison industrial complex. She was caught up in the crack epidemic of the 80s. And by the time I was 26, it was like 2005, 2006. And I was living with her. And I expected her, um, I, I, I had years before that, I had got, she had went to prison and I had got custody of my brother. I had to drop out of college. I had to do all of these things for her. And so at this point in my life, I felt that she owed me. <laughs> I felt like, look, I dropped out of school. I took care of your child. But I feel like you owe me to relax and let me go back to school. And she kind of mirrored that, that kind of talking point. She was like, I want you to go back to school, blah, 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 blah. I know that you kind of held it down while I was in prison and blah, 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 blah. So come stay with me mm-hmm. and you ain't got to work. I just want you to go back and finish school because I know that's what you wanted. And so I came back, I moved to Mississippi and when, totally intending to go back to school. And in the process, she relapsed and everything just fell apart. And I was, I had $57 in my pocket. The lights were cut off. I was escorting at the time. I had gave her the money to pay for the lights to get back on. She had smoked it up. Mm. <laughs> and sheriffs and the landlord was knocking on the door saying, hey, y'all got to get out by, t- by um, y'all got to get out. And I was like, wait, we paid you. We paid you. And the landlord said, no, baby, you didn't pay me nothing. And I was like, I gave, mama, was I gave you the money. You know, so I I pleaded with the landlady. She said, well, okay, this was a Tuesday. She said, you got till Thursday. (laughs) You got till Thursday. I said, dang, so the lights are off. So I'm sitting with a candle in this house, 
a candle, a, a 25 cent bag of uh, Flaming Hot Cheetos. Shut up. <laughs> a, a can, a, one can of Vienna sausage. Like, literally, this is how dire. And I had $57 in my pocket, and I said, what am I about to do? The man in my life who I was making me feel like a woman because he was so masculine and thug and hood mm-hmm. and had money, da 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 Wouldn't give me none. Um, he was like, mm, well, you can't live with me because... My brother stays with me, and I'm on. And he, I don't want him to know what's going on between me and you. But if you get to my, if you get, I can take you where you want to go, and I can pay some uh, some rent for you if you find a place to go. So, on one end, it's like out, but then on the other hand, it's like I don't got nobody else that's kind of even remotely trying to help me. And so, in that moment, I'm realizing that. Baby, nobody is going to give you what you're owed. Nobody is going to take care of you. Nobody is looking at you with care, no matter how much you are dedicated to them. That's right. No matter how much you have sacrificed for them, no matter how much, how well you so dick, mm-hmm. how well you do this, how well you do that. Yes. No matter how you do those things, these same people have failed you. And so in that moment, I said, no, I'm going to use everything I got. I'm gonna, Anybody who's trying to offer me something, I'm going to use it. But once I get on my feet, once I and I end up moving to Houston, that's when YouTube started. Once I get on my feet, no longer will I ever be in a situation where either my mother, my brother, my man, blah, 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 where I was feeling they owed me and I'm depending on them. And I never have ever since because I loved myself enough to really dedicate to keeping myself afloat. And I didn't have any investment in anybody, literally nobody. Because back in back in the day, I was invested in my man. You're supposed to do this. You're right. supposed to do that. Invested in my mother. All these kind of things. Once I realized that nobody is going to give you what you think they owe you, you got to get it for yourself. And that was the moment that I, I haven't looked back. My life totally changed because how I flipped it and really – Put myself first before anybody else. That was it. <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think we, you know, touched on. Okay, it, yes. But it was about sort of that that moment that really defined a journey. Sorry, that moment that really defined a journey into self love, because I think as trans women in particular, there's a lot of influences to go the opposite direction um, of self-destruction, Yeah. right? Absolutely. So as children, oftentimes we're feminine kids. We get heavily policed, um, ostracized, abused because of it. And those messages sort of soak into us and, and shedding them and unlearning them is a really sort of difficult process. But there's that moment that happens where you're like, I, for me, I think a few years ago, it was me talking to you on the phone. Um, and you were like, aren't you tired of just beating yourself up all the time? Um, oh, no. Okay, wait, hold on. Don't cry. <laughs> um, there was a, a sort of moment in my a huge chapter in my life in particular where I didn't value myself anymore and I sort of thought 
all that that stuff that I was told was just true. Mm. Um, and then here I was in the tenderloin doing sex work in my SRO and was like, okay, well, you know, it is, it is what it is. This is this is the life that I chose. I was always this is my life. Is this right. my life? Right. And so you know, um, you remember like there would be dudes that robbed me um, in my apartment. There would be situations that I would always feel really compromised, and I would want to say no, but I didn't feel confident. And then I was in a relationship with this abusive guy, and he ended up living with me and. There was just these series of events where I just didn't have that self-value, that self-love. And I didn't know it. I mean, I was functioning in the world, but I wasn't thriving. And, and for me, it, I would justify everything and, and be like, well, you know, who else is going to love me? And you're settling for scraps. Right. right. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you know, that happened because, you know, this is what I chose. This is what my parents told me would happen to me. I deserve is, it. Right. I deserve this because, you know. This is who like I this, am. This, this is, is all I can get. Like, he's abusive, but who else is going to love me? Right. right. Um, and then I would go in the mirror and I'd be like, if only if I was shorter. If mm. only if I was Ooh. lighter. Um, for me, I had a complexion complex. I always wanted to be super fair skin and short. And, and thin. Was, and thin. Super thin. Right. Oh, God. Shit. <laughs> Like, um, you know, I've talked about this on my blog. I used to have an eating disorder um, and went through tons of moments in my life where I just really policed what I ate, how I looked, my literally down to my bone structure, my face, et cetera. And I just hype, have a hypervigilance um, and I'm a perfectionist. And so I would always internalize it back into me. Um and then behaviors that other people would facilitate towards me, I'd be like, oh, well, it's my fault. Um, it's my fault that I, you know, it, all all Everything. those things. And yeah. so there was a moment, I guess my pivotal moment was like on the phone with you. And I was like, oh, she crazy. Like, she's like, you just have to love yourself. You're all, you're, all you got. You're the most expensive thing you own. And I just thought it was so corny. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. It just sounded very hippy trippy to me. I was like, I don't know what she's on. And but, then, it was, but I have to say, it was so real for me because I was also not just telling you, but I was telling myself. I remember that, right. You know, you were on my journey of self-love and really realizing that I don't have anybody else. But I have found this young lady here that has helped me. So why not give back what I've learned to give myself to her? So I started giving myself to you mm. because I saw so much of me in you. And so every time you would say, well, remember when I was thin? No, girl, you are beautiful now. Well, what if I know we can't live in the what if? And I think that as just not trans women, but just all women, we live in this land of what if? Mm. What if I looked like this? What if I had this? What if somebody said this to me? But what if we never say, what if I say this to myself? What if I do this for myself? Or what if I get together with other strong, positive women and we do this for not only ourselves, but for other people out there? And, and that's a part of like radical self-love too, because 
cultivating a connection between your sisters, an authentic mm-hmm. connection, and not being catty, not okay. being, not really trying to be the support system, that is a part of self-love. Because to me, self, when my mind, and we was talking about this last night, mm-hmm. when my mind is not together, I can't self-love myself. I'm fucked up. Right. So I can't, sometimes I can't pull myself out of that hole. I can't pull myself out of that depression. I can't pull myself out of that feeling of not being worthy. And that's when my sisters, who I have cultivated a loyalty to, who have cultivated a loving relationship where we're each other's support system, uh, when I am in my good spot, those are the sisters that come and say, hey, Pool. Come, come on, on girl. come up out come of this on, hole. Yeah. Come up cut out of this darkness. You know, <laughs> I'm coming over, knocking on the door. Let me cut these lights on. You need some lighting here. Yes. You need to eat. Come on, let's go get something to eat. Right. Th- those type of moments. That's a part of self love too. Cultivating a community of support and love and tenderness. Who 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 knows when you need the tough love? Who knows when you need a a tender hand? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of self love too. And I think we don't we uh, our life can be isolating Mm -hmm. because of the trauma that we all have been through the traumas and things that have happened in our life sometimes we always think of another girl as an enemy we always think of her as competition oh she's trying to she's honey she's trying to pooch on me honey yeah she's she's just (laughs) trying to do this but for me it wasn't until i found girls who didn't have that kind of mentality who didn't you know, who really genuinely knew who I was. And I was just, I was, I, w- I want to bring every, wherever I go, I want to bring everybody along with me. It's not about you being my entourage. It's not about um, me trying to be better than you. It's about whatever skills that I have, I want to pull you along with me. Mm-hmm. And that's right. a part of my self-love too, because I need that support system. Wherever I'm going, these sis, heck, motherfuckers ain't going to give it to me. Right. And seeing that, you know, for me in my life, I would see girls. And I think, you know, sometimes um, I've heard this before, like fake it till you make it kind of thing. And I had girls, uh, trans women in my life at different moments where I'd be like, how come they have it and I don't have it? Mm. Like, what is it that makes them sort of like wake up in the morning and be like, I'm beautiful and I'm affirmed or what have you? So we would have these conversations. Oh, God. Brianna would, like, literally drive me to this. Anyways. Uh, Brianna would, (laughs) I would ask Brianna for a ride to this guy that I was seeing who was just disrespectful. But for me, it was, like, it was the only thing I could get. Mm. And it was the only moments of validation. And she would lecture me on the way to this man's house. Like, girl, what is you doing? And I'm like... He just makes me feel, I mean, I know, like, you don't understand and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like, I tell you all the bad stuff, but really, he's actually good. (laughs) But there there were seeds that were being, I didn't realize there were seeds being planted and the soil would till for me to sort of sit on them and let them grow. And so I think in the next phase, um, I had to be around like 25, 26. I just started looking in the mirror and be like, I'm the most beautiful woman in the world right now as I am. Like whether I get a surgery tomorrow or not, I am. And I think because for me, 
the idea of self-love had to be with conditions like oh i would love myself if i were right yeah if this if this and then in my life there were moments where men would be like oh i would date you publicly if if you weren't trans if you were this if you I can't were, change that that's who i am and but the lot right and so in the beginning i would just soak that in and i'd be like right. okay well um and not that i would ever pursue anything because of that but i think those moments really influenced that i was not enough um unless i did something dramatic and that would take time and i think eventually it started being like what no this is crazy like yeah you're here with me right now that should just be enough. And if I'm not enough, then I need to make myself enough for me. Right. And you um, need to leave. And you need to leave. <laughs> you need to leave. Right, because all of these things just put a dark cast over your life. Because you don't know it in the moment, but all these what ifs are cloudy. Right. They will put you in darkness. So I remember just talking to a, a bunch of girls and be like, and we were always going through this. Well, what if? Well, what if we got this done? Or what if we got this done? And I had to just step in and be like, what if you don't? Do you die? Do you just stop breathing? What if you don't? And what does it look like if you don't get these things done? How does your life look tomorrow? Because we live in this land of what if is not helpful. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for you. It's not helpful for anyone. So how do we stop living in what if and just start living in the now? Because the what if also keeps you from living. It keeps you from thriving. You're just still surviving. What if is that survival mode Mm -hmm. that people still live in? And so how do you come out of that survival mode of what if and just step into total light? And feel the sun on your skin, the warmth on your back. What does that look like? And how do you create that for yourself day to day to block out all of that darkness? Because darkness and isms and layers are always out there to cloak you and cover you and tell you you're not what if. I love how you said the standard of beauty growing up. Because Mm -hmm. the standard for beauty growing up was me was the lady in the back of the Jet magazine. Mm, You know, you had to flip through the back of the Jet magazine and you would see this voluptuous, thick, beautiful Mm -hmm. black woman. But that wasn't the mirrored visual in society. Right. So you have all of these things clouding your mind from childhood, from birth. And you grow up with them. And as you grow, they get stronger and more embedded into your life. And then you go through situations with men, with women, with family, with people just on the streets. People on the streets, just because you may look trans or visibly different or have a disability, people have the nerve to talk to you crazy any type of way. So that just adds all these different layers. So when do you start to peel off those layers? layers and how do you start to peel off those layers and for me seeing community and other women in community and other people in community going through this I just had to say something I had to be like you don't that's not that's not real that's not real no more can we believe this fake stuff Let's step into the real. And this is what real looks like. I think sometimes we get also so bombarded with the fake that we start to love the fake. That's the, you don't know real when you see real. 
Mm-hmm. You don't know real friends when you see real friends. You don't know real relationships when you see real relationships. And when you do, you push that away because you're not used to something real. Mm-hmm. So how do we start to create something real? And so when you said, you know, I want to do this talk, and I was like, oh, well, that's real. Let me get on board with that. I'm not a speaker. I am the ter- person that likes to sit in the back of the audience and just listen and watch. But I was like, well, let me get on board with that because that's something real. And I want to be a part of anything real in today's life, in today's society, in the life of trans women, in the life of everyone. Anyone that wants to have something real, we need to be a part of that. So what that looks like for us moving forward is to drop that what if. We can no longer live in that what if. We can no longer live in those notions of what we grew up with. We have to drop that fakeness and figure out what's real in our lives, who's real in our lives, and build that and cultivate that into something powerful. This is something powerful. We need more of this. Mm. It's like chasing, you know, like when you, like those old school, like tracks where, you know, there there was a rabbit that the dog would come out and chase, but he really is just going in a circle. Mm-hmm. He's chasing that rabbit because whatever in him is saying, oh, that's what I need. That's what I need. The metaphor of my life is when I, I had a guy friend who was like, he, he would always like test my fish he will always be like yeah he will always like it it was always something about well i want to i want to see if you go to like he literally said i want to take you to a mall and i just want to see people interact with you to see if anybody figure it out <laughs> and it, it almost would be like a test of it was a test. Right. No, that wasn't almost. Yeah. That was a test like, of your and, womanhood. And, and 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 it was crazy because it, it was almost like he was gaslighting me because I, I, I'm I come from a different era than what's now, which I think is beautiful. What's happening now, where people you know can be in on any spectrum and you know wherever. But I come from an era where. You did conform to cis heteronormativity. You, you had to. to. You just it was wanted safety. to be a woman. You that's you 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 wanted your look to fit a uh, cisgender woman. You wanted nobody to be able to tell. You wanted these things. <clears throat> and so everybody tested me. I remember growing up, girls would you know sit, we would go to a gas station and all the after the club and all the dudes were at the gas station here you go go pay for the gas right or going to the liquor store <laughs> going to the liquor where store all the dudes just hanging dudes. out in front of the yeah. liquor store who going to go into the who liquor store to, like if, you, right. you, you the one you you think you the one here you go you know and so and so I'm and so for me to be at to the trans, just to trans- translate <laughs> listening in um, <laughs> we just, get into the tea <laughs> There was a time that was not too long ago for many trans people um, where if you did not fit a specific visual experience of what womanhood is, of course, we are in an era of our culture where we're redefining what that looks like um, for all bodies. Um, But back then, if you were going like Diamond going into the gas station if she were to be sort of discovered as trans, they would throw bottles at you. A, it would be a fight. It would be a fight. Up, it would be. 
it was prove it was your it almost for us it was a rite of passage it was like you got to a certain level when you were able to walk down the street and nobody knew and so for me to and I had been through those rites of passage I had been through it and so for this man at the age that I was to be testing me because of his insecurities <laughs> because of his insecurities it was like what I'm I'm literally working at a job where nobody he knows. Figured because that if he, he knew, then everybody must knows. Know. Exactly. So it was this whole thing where I was chasing this carrot, this rabbit, of proving to him that I was worthy. But you already were, like you said, you were you are you're in my bed every You were already you were, enchanted you already with the here. dog. You're right. already here. <laughs> and so it got to a point where he wasn't enough. Right, exactly. You're not enough for me. And so I'm done with this. Like, this is not okay. And I stopped chasing that rabbit. And now I'm maybe the, and this is kind of where that self-love kind of gets kind of shaky for me in the relationship. Because once I made the decision to center me, my prospects kind of dwindled down. Yes, because you won't accept just anything. Yes. Because you won't just accept anything. And so now it's that kind of, it's almost like my my strategy of self-love is kind of gaslighting me. And and I don't want to, and the reason why I'm telling this is because I don't want to seem, I don't want to seem like whoever's listening that I, I have it all figured out. But what I do know is that in me choosing to center myself, I don't feel bad. I don't feel, I don't have that moment we talked about where you're sleeping with this guy and he's at three o'clock in the morning. Once he ejaculates, he's going home and you're sitting there with the covers, with the bed sheet over your chest like, oh, what just happened? I thought that this was going to be fulfilling. I feel violated. Should I have charged him? (laughs) Like like what? Like what? Like what just happened? Why? I I wanted that kind of care and that rub and that affection but now I'm still alone and I still feel by myself so you know you have those moments and so when when I now I'm at the point where those moments are very very small I still have them sometimes but it's still on my terms it's still on I want some company tonight because for my self-care I want to be able to get off and enjoy right. but you, blah 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 and then Previous. you're looking at him where are you going uh, you, what, what time are you leaving come on yeah. I need to go to sleep <laughs> right but the, I, but the yes. relationship to it becomes different yes because you're not because I think when you're in a space of you know having I mean I think as black trans women often as we're very fragile mm-hmm. um in in our bodies and in, in, in our minds because of all of the messaging that right. has been sort of told to us and we carry it through mm-hmm. that oftentimes we seek out this validation, yes. affirmations in ways that can actually be more abusive. Yes. Um, and so there is, I think, an experience that, you know, we're talking about where you know, we're in the process of becoming, we haven't fully arrived in self-love, and I think every day it looks different. Yes. Um, And as you start to create, for me it was creating standards of like, what I would allow and what I would accept, how I would let people talk to me, like things like that in my life that you could have those moments, you know, with partners and stuff like that, but it's like you're not looking for 
you're no longer on a hunt for validation or an affirmation. It's literally about like, well, this is me indulging. Right. Yes. Um, My pleasure. Centering myself, not you. Mm -hmm. It's not to get you to love me. Right. It's I love me and I want to enjoy myself tonight. And so boom. And I love how you said centering myself Mm -hmm. because once you start to centering yourself, yes, those prospects will dwindle down because you're not willing to accept anything anymore. You know, this reminds me of this story. And I just told you the other day, but I have been dealing with this dude for maybe about (laughs) 10 years. Mm. And so within the last maybe couple of months when he would come over my house and he's always attentive, he loves to cook and he'll bring over food and we'll watch movies, but he would pee on my floor Mm. and not wipe it up. And I'm like, what you, okay, it's a big old bowl right there. You can't get everything in the bowl. Sit down if you got to. So, and I would notice it after he would leave. So I would clean it up and I would be upset and I wouldn't speak to him for a while. And then he would call me again and be like, you know, I got some jambalaya, you know, I just made Oh, well, come on. The girl loves to eat. So we get some jambalaya and we hanging out. And so I would go in the bathroom after him and I'm like, what is this? And he would just be, I'm like, so the last time he came over my house and it happened, I had to tap him. Come on, come look at this with me. And I had to show him, like, yes! (laughs) Do you see that? Rub his nose in it. And I just had to be like, what is this? Why can't you get it all in the bowl? Why do I have to? I'm not doing this no more with you. And that's what you said. Those things start to just dwindle down. Mm. And so he would call me. He called me just a couple of days. And I'd be like, no, you peed on my floor. You can't come back over here. (laughs) Well, do you want to come over my house? No, you pee on the floor. Of course I want to come to your house. (laughs) So just when you say you center yourself, there will just be things that you will not accept anymore. There will be things that you are just not willing to do anymore. There will be places you are just not willing to go anymore. A girlfriend the other day was talking about the power exchange, and I was like, (laughs) I'm not going there. There are just places that there's, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'm okay with not doing that. I've gotten okay to lay in my bed by myself Mm. and be just okay. I remember I would just have phone numbers of guys and friends that would just come over just to sleep with me because I didn't like to sleep with myself. Mm. I didn't like the company of myself. And so when I started on that journey of self-love and centering myself, I would sleep in this one spot. And I have a large California king, and I would sleep in this one spot like I'm in a tomb. (laughs) Like I'm saving this spot for somebody else Mm. because I wasn't saving it enough for me. Mm. I didn't save up enough love for me to be like, girl, spread out in this This bed. This is mine. (laughs) You know, but there was just this process that I had to visually see for myself. Because, yes, I would speak it to you and I would say it to myself, but I had to actually see it. Practice. And put it into practice. Mm. And I love that about myself now on this journey of self-love and centering myself. Thank you for that. I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. (laughs) I'm going to use that in my counseling sessions with my clients. Because we have to learn to center ourselves because we are just all over the place sometimes. How do you center that and become still and become whole with that and okay with it? Yeah. Because none of us sometimes are okay with just ourselves. 
we have to hang out with so many different people. I remember just having to be out all the time. Every night, got to go out and hang out and do something. Have to be around somebody because I didn't like my own company. Mm. How did you have to stop that and center yourself? And I'm enough. What does that practice look like for you now? For me, for me now, it looks like I'm enough for me. I love my company. Like actual. <laughs> so what? I, what I'm asking you is like, what yeah. is your actual action that you took to say, okay, I'm going to practice this and. This is one when you, you know, you can say it, but mm-hmm. what's the actual doing? What is your, like, on a month, like, say a month or weekly basis, what are you actually doing that cultivates that self-love? So for me, it is teaching myself to love myself whole and speaking that to other people. So taking myself out, treating myself nicely, saying nice things to myself. Because I think as women, as black women, as black trans women, we are not nice to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can be as hard, worse on ourselves than other people. So I had to learn to be nice to myself Mm -hmm. and continue that on a daily basis. Because sometimes you actually actually want to do something different and I'm I have to play that tape out now and be like it, what's the what's what's that going to do for you mm. is that going to be helpful in your life in any way well let's do something that'll be helpful now I have these conversations with myself that are loving mm. and kind and I've learned not to let anybody else treat me that way also yep. and when I see someone else going through that I stop them also and be like uh-uh we're not going to do that. Let's not do that because we are prone to dislike ourselves for some reason, dislike our bodies. As a trans woman, you are taught your body is not enough. Yeah. You are not enough unless you have big lips and big tits and big thighs and oh, all of these things. Waist. Oh my God, my waist is never going to be small. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so I had to speak nicely to myself. When I put a dress on, I have to say, oh, I look good in this. Mm-hmm. This feels good on me. I had to touch myself and rub myself and love myself because. It, come on, I, sweet. I, oh, yeah, my. Come on. <laughs> hey. Because if I want somebody else to, to do that, I need to do it for me too, so that I can tell him, uh-uh, you're not touching me right. Ooh, you're not loving me right. right. You know, so <laughs> that's what it starts to look like for me daily. And also sharing that with my sisters. Mm. Don't let him talk to you like that. Don't let him treat you like that. Or you're don't, not gonna talk to her like that in front of it, me. Come wait on. Till, wait till y'all get home. Yeah. In front no, of don't, me, no. no, don't don't talk to her like that. Don't <laughs> let him talk to you like that. You know, you also have to, like she said earlier, plant those seeds. Yeah. Because sometimes nobody else is planting seeds in people today. And the seeds that they're getting are seeds of destruction mm. and madness and not self-love. It's self-hate. The media teaches you today to oh, hate yeah. yourself and be insecure, but that also comes from the beginning of marketing mm-hmm. and th- th- what they called was the um, destruction of black people and the control of white women mm. because they would use these narratives to destroy and to tell black people they're not enough. But also those messages were to control white women. Right. Don't do that because then you'll be like the black, the Negro. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't look like that because then you'll be like the Negroes. You know, that's where yeah, all these yeah. messages come from. And now it's the backlash. They all. Now they all look, look like, like the Negroes. <laughs> the lips. 
Yes, the, the the dark tan, everything, everything. body, the hip implants, the hip implants. But you know what? That's another thing that destroys your self love because it doesn't look good on you, but it'll look good on her. Mm-hmm. You can't love it on me, but you can love it on somebody else of a different skin color. I can get fired at work for my braids. I can get fired at work for my braids, but when Kim K do it, it's 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 all edgy the fashion. And everybody come through with with cornrows. Right. So it's just sad the messages that we get in life and how to reprogram ourselves, then to help share that reprogramming with community. Mm. Yeah. And I think something that um, is important for people who are listening is that I think, you know, we're coming from an experience as as black trans women um, and that informs our dialogue. But there is an experience that I think is a bit more universal and that you might have takeaways in listening, which is um, society has created a culture that dictates um, that our bodies if they are not congruent to a specific standard or rubric, um, are undeserving of love. Um, And self-love is, in fact, a radical experience of looking. For me, it was many moments of looking in the mirror and being like, if I gain another pound, I will still love myself. I have to. Um, And... Yeah, no matter what I try to do to make my body congruent, um, it it doesn't actually empower me to think mm-hmm. of myself in a negative way. Um, and you have a beautiful body. I wish oh, you. Thank you. I have. Uh, so really? I, I was hanging out with. <laughs> I, I was hanging out with this lady the other day, and she was laying on her bed. I think I was laying on the couch, and she had on just a bra top and some little boy shorts, and I snuck a picture of her. Wow. And it is sexy, but she will not let me put it out there or no. even send it to her. <laughs> but it's just, it's just really how sexy. You are as a woman, no matter what your shape is, mm. no matter what your background is. For a woman, and this is trans woman, cis woman, we are sexy mm. in every shape, in every size, the thick or the smaller your thighs. We are sexy. We have to stop listening to the world telling us that's not sexy. Yeah. And I really want you to see this picture because it is sexy. <laughs> And I call it, and and it's a larger, a larger narrative that's happening that you can kind of see as evidence when we talk about, um, I I, I read something that's called the politics of disposability. Mm. And when we talk about, like when we think about, think about the trans women who we see that are visible, the markers that says they're worthy Mm -hmm. and think about the ones that we see that are dying. So, um, predominantly if you look at the women who are you know who have been murdered in 2019 it is predominantly african-american women yeah trans women and predominantly dark-skinned african-american yes so and then when we talk about the ones who get privileged you have to look like a cis woman you have to perform you gotta have a sex change or you have to be a show you have to be a show like you have to do this kind of stuff and so the ones who don't perform that kind of you don't talk right you don't look right da 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 
we can they can be disposable they can die we can just share the link and <laughs> share the art over again and do some outrage po- outrage post and so th- those are the politics is who is not worthy of us caring about um and I think for me, that's the work for me, particularly in my organization and what I do. I even in the 10 years that I was on YouTube, I, I wanted people when you watch me, you I wouldn't go. I had been a woman for a very, very long time. By the time I was on YouTube, I didn't want to have the um, on on estrogen for <laughs> on estrogen for six months. Oh, this day after this surgery, it was just really rooted in the physicality. I really wanted to share. It wasn't just me. I, I shared other trans women and um, people who had lived a life for years and um, doing interviews. And I just wanted you to really get a real sense of what um, what it looks like to love yourself. What it looks like to really battle what we were battling on a day-to-day basis questions that we had in our mind things that we hadn't figured out things that even the wonderful non-binary people now are helping us figure out that you know that cis heteronormative standard doesn't really work and if we break that we can kind of be free that kind of you know i you know just just the amazing things i wanted to be able to share the tenderness, the care, the love of the people that I was in community with on a day-to-day basis because for other people to see that, I would feel like, I felt like it was, it would make us less disposable. Mm-hmm. Because you see, and, and make the connection between how this dude coming to see me at three o'clock in the morning is the same thing that happens to a cisgender big girl. Yeah, cisgender women, period. <laughs> you know, period. You know that they're ashamed. And I want to be able to, you don't fit the standard, but I'll fuck you. Right. And th- that kind of, that kind of level of, you know, just, I wanted you to be able to make the human connection because we all are going through human experience. Yes. It, the circumstances are different, but the bottom line is emotion of love and fear and um, insecurity it's just different and so the circumstances are different but the human experience is the same and if you can make that connection that's what my goal always have been in all the work that I do for people to make that connection of how your human experience relates to my trans experience and you see the connection so you can see my humanity and vote to care for me But don't people still have to have humanity, though? Because I feel like humanity is a dying thing. Oh, yes. Do you know what I'm saying? We got kids in cages. Yes, exactly. So even when we try to make those connections, I still, because I would be in a room full of women because I hang out with some of my girlfriends be like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not, uh uh-uh, I'm not like, girl, it's the same thing. You just said you was digmatized. I just said I was digmatized. Why is it so different? Right. Because you different. And that's what people just latch on to because you're different than me. Instead of seeing the humanity in all of us, us. we like to see the differences, which is sad, especially for people of color, which is sad because if a boat pull up right now and say, we all got to get on it, we all got to get on it. It doesn't make a difference if you trans, if you have a vagina, if you dump that boat comes and say, y'all got to get on it and go back. (laughs) We all got to get on it and go back and figure it out together. So why can't can't we stay in community and figure it out together? It has just been so hard. But I also noticed here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, our disconnect became with academic and funding. 
That's what really and, set us apart. And that is ooh, a whole different show. A whole other hour. And, right? Okay. That is our time um, for the conversation. We want to thank folks for tuning in and being here in person. Are there any questions? Any points people wanted to add? Anything? Yeah? No? Come on, get involved. I'm here for you. No pressure. <laughs> I did have a question, but I was like a mouthful. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi. I did have a question um, in regards to kind of the topic of community and um, intercommunal violence and being gracious to folks who don't have access to like self-care. If you all can talk about some times where you've kind of had to be gracious um, and to teach them self-love and, you know, protecting yourself, but also like, you know, um, instilling kind of um, modeling self-love for folks and community and kind of taking the higher road. I don't take the high road anymore. <laughs> I, I don't be gracious in the face of violence. I just don't. Not anymore. Or negativity. Or Yeah, I just don't. If I, I call it out immediately and I talk about it. Um, I think in recent times, I remember when that Malik Yoba um, fiasco was happening and... Um, they were on the Breakfast Club, and I'm like, "Why do they got this gay man on here talking about our experience?" Yes. Ooh, and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, I'm like, I, I, you know, if if we're talking about LGBT stuff, of course, have multiple representation. But this particular topic is about Black trans women or trans women in general. Why are you here talking? Why is on it? TV? Right? You wanted to be on TV, revive and his but career. Unfortunately, it created." Yes, mm -hmm. a problem, and you, you, what you intended to do didn't work because you shouldn't have been there. You could have sat in the back and said, "I'm going to let this space be for trans women," even if you wanted to be on the show, right? And just sat back and say, Support "Okay, from the back." I, they called me to bring the to kind of bring some people here to talk about this narrative. I think this should be trans women, and so I'm going to sit here. I'm still going to be on the show, <laughs> but I'm going to sit back and let the girls share their experience and so in that moment I was very very vocal about how this is the moment when an ally should have stepped down an ally should have um you know know when it's time to back up know when it's time to um you know let the girls do their thing because a lot of times people are thinking of us as oh the poor trans people <laughs> the poor trans people when you're not even putting us in a position to empower us yes and don't know how to respond to us when we are empowered, empowered. say that right 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 and so you know when i when i think about allyship and community outside of myself you know i i'm i hold people accountable i want you to i want to teach you how to love me because i, I because i'm practicing this self-love and right. centering myself i need to sh i need to show you how to do that in a healthy way and i want you to do the same for me i want to yes. i want you to show me how to love you in a healthy way and so if i, I think if we, when we have that kind of intention it um it just makes us grow. It just makes our bond grow and makes us more um, accountable and makes us more effective in being allies with each other. And I can talk about that on the home front here in San Francisco within the work that I, that I do. 
And sometimes I run up, I am called these days the police of elders because I police trans elders that aren't acting like elders. Where I come from, elders are wise and give wisdom and support. Elders are not yelling at you and screaming at you and talking down to you and make you making you feel worse, less than. So what I have started to doing with some of the people in my circle and outside of my circle and people that I just come in contact with group in groups I practice that self-love I model it for myself and if you are not modeling that for yourself I'm gonna stop you and we are going to have this conversation of what that looks like with self and then how do you deliver your message a different way to other people so that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to model it inside me and others that I'm in contact with, but also we have to put that in practice. And putting that in practice sometimes is, uh, come on, uh-uh, we're not gonna do this. I am the firm believer of just stopping and be like, we said we weren't gonna do this. Let's think about how we can do it differently to get the same message across, but do it in a way where everybody is affirmed and feel good about hearing this wonderful and powerful message that you have to deliver. It, it, I, think, I don't think this is a time anymore where we can keep yelling at people. How do we talk to one another to stop pushing people away? Because in this community, that's all we've known. That's all we've gotten our whole life is yelling and pushing you away. How do we talk a different way to bring people in? So that's my message, and that's what I'm trying to do with community. Oh. Anyone else? <laughs> Shouldn't have raised my hand. Um, hi, um, I just wanted to thank you ladies for um, having this workshop seminar because um, I find myself, even though I am of age, I'm at the new end of trans acceptance and experience. And so I really am at a crossroads. I mean, I've always loved myself, but I didn't know myself before. So now I'm beginning to put... Um, the image of who I want to see in the mirror together. Mm -hmm. And so this has been very helpful and very informative. And I just wanted to say thank you. And um, I, I recorded it. It's given me a lot to think about. And uh, I think it's very important. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for existing and yeah. sharing that. Hello, everyone. I am Tiffany Washington. I'd like to say thank you for inviting me out to the Commonwealth Club. My pronouns are she, she. Uh, I am here to actually address the issue of self-love for transgenders here in the community, which is really important. And it's something that I have never heard of at the same sequence. Um, I would like to actually... Um, put my input on how well you guys are when it comes to addressing the issue. It's really intelligent, it's really wise, it's really some empowered. It's an empowerment to the community of who we are. Um, I'm kind of dismayed at the fact that we don't have more transgender this e afternoon to enjoy you guys. Uh, my, my interpretation of how you, feel, how you guys feel about self-love is really, really important when it comes to understanding the um, the origin and the ethnicity of how the outsider looks into who we are as iconic 
figures within a society that does not understand who we are when it comes to representing what we're about. If you can under if you can understand that. Yes. Can you? Okay. So when I, when when, it, when you're saying self love, it's really 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 important to understand that people can people can be really offended. The man can be offended, like Beyonce said. Beyonce said the man can be offended by being too successful in life when it comes to understanding who you are, empowered with other females that makes them lower than what they are not, based on who you are, greater than what you want to be. I'm going to say that to say this is that I've learned in the past. I've been a transgender for so many odd years since I was 18 years old. I'm 37 now. And it's really, really important to understand this topic now that I am 37. And I'm glad and thank you very much for the opportunity to be a part of this group to actually endure in a greater mental health for the for an actual self-love with with you guys as a group, as a whole. OK, um, I kind of want to know how do you guys want to promote this topic therefore after today so i love with you what you said that you wished more trans women were in the room and so i was just sitting here thinking the same thing so i was like okay i think in this session of self-love we wanted the people to come to us now we have to figure out a way to bring it to the people I think there should be no more of this. I need the people to come here. We need to bring this to the people. I think we need to go back to our grassroots and how we talk to people and have community space with people, and especially people of color. We love to commune around food. So how do we bring this to community in a space where it's like kitchen table talk, like Aria said earlier, so we can get everybody um to feel good, to feel welcome, to feel affirmed, but also willing to share their real stories and journeys of self-love. And if not, how do we model that for them? Because when you model it for someone else, you're also getting someone else's modeling it to you. Like you've modeled it today for me. Thank you. You have modeled it today for me and people in the audience. So we need to take all of this to the people. So, yes, I'm thinking on those, that same level. Okay, we have the, technology. We, we're recording it, so way more people are going to hear it. I, hmm. You know, with Arya's platform, with my platform, with Brianna's platform, um, they're going to see it. We're going to put it out and um, it's going to be shared with tons of people. And so um, don't think it's just going to be going to fall on deaf ears because we got the technology to, you know, even though they're not in the moment with us right now, they'll be, we will be able to, they'll be able to listen. Next question I have, next question I have is what inspired, inspired you to actually think of a topic of self-love for this, um, at, at this time of the year, with, without having pride being an inferior to, the, not an inferior, but in, in place of the actual promotion of this topic mm. for Trans March. Yeah. Um, for me, well, we're trans every day, a lot of us, um, outside of pride. Um, I do make jokes on the internet. <laughs> um, uh, Ooh, what a concept. <laughs> um, that was a joke for others, not, not towards you, obviously. But, you know, I make jokes online oftentimes that, you know, I get the most booked 
during June. Pride. That's when they're like, we need a trans. Where is it? <laughs> there it is. Oh, Find the trans. trans. Bring, bring a black trans. We're missing a Let black Let me Google trans. black trans advocate. <laughs> black <laughs> trans. No shade. It does help me Sometimes. with my bills. So, <laughs> you know, keep looking for a black trans. I'm right here. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, honestly, I, um, this conversation, um, so two reasons. One, the reason why we have it here today um, and being recorded um, is for two reasons. One was, um, it was a conversation that I had, I was smoking a cigarette outside my apartment on the phone with Brianna a few months ago. And she was like, I just wish that there was something that existed around black trans women and self-love. That's how it honestly... Honor of Black History Month. No, I mean, it just all kind of fell into place, right? So, um, but that is what sort of sowed the seed. And then um, she was like, we got to bring Diamond back to San Francisco. Um, And so she really sort of had this organic, rough cut thought because we had done a a session before with Michelle, on the state of emergency about violence against black trans women mm-hmm. or uh, violence against trans women, period. Um, and, you know, something that I think I struggle with, many trans people are probably struggling with, and I don't know, is that there there's no real framework for us outside of our disparity. Mm-hmm. And so when you look on the internet and you Google black transgender, which I did, all of it is like how we're murdered and how we're, you know, marginalized and disenfranchised. Yes. And we experience high rates of homelessness and violence and, and HIV. HIV and unemployment and discrimination yes. and capital violence and all of those sort of statistics. And, and that is the narrative. And re- realities. Realities, but. right. And, you know, I think, you know, something I always share is that when I'm with my sisters, we experience that disparity, but it it's not something we sit and talk about. <coughs> when the girls come together, we really just, you know, organic. Like I think we just naturally come together and and try to bring joy and cattiness and a kiki together and what have you. But um, ultimately, we wanted to have something in the airwaves um, that existed around. Um, black trans women and self-love. There's tons of content on the internet and, and around around uh, body positivity. Um, if we're fat or, you know, being a feminist or what have you, um, there's, and, and even trans experience overall of like learning to love your transness. Um, should, sorry, Laverne Cox started a hashtag called trans is beautiful, um, which was her sort of, um, way of of creating a framework around body positivity for trans people. Um, but there wasn't anything that I could find around, you know, self-love specifically um, that sort of shared nuances. And, of course, we only chatted for an hour. So, you know, the hope was that this would just sort of start more opportunities. And this is your first group. That this is your first actual group of self love or self help for our self love. Yeah, this is our first yeah. formalized first session. Um, yeah. session. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think it, in the future there can be many more ways of how that looks um, and how that happens um, in San Francisco and across the country. 
But there will be more. Yeah. Thank it's you so much. It's planting the seed so that, you know, some girls in the South who don't, you know, San Francisco is a, you know, is a well-oiled machine when it comes to LGBT issues. It's a bubble. Da, 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 da. You come to Houston, we don't have stuff like this. We don't have stuff like this in Texas because that's a one of those crazy states <laughs> that they don't care about red us. State. And so, you know, in the red states. And so we don't have these kind of moments. And so for me, um, coming here and being in communities with these wonderful ladies, I can take what we do and share it with the people in my community. And, you know, when we Google, <laughs> when we Google, um, you know, black self love, black trans self love, and this pops up. I, I, that's a that's an accomplishment yes. for me. I'll just add that I do hope that you do all kinds of forms of these discussions, whether formal or informal, in a kitchen or dining table or at a public affairs forum like this. Um, as a cisgender person, for me, hearing your authenticity and your genuine stories helps dismantle some of the things that might not come up because of uh, one's own, you know, bias perception of society. Sometimes you get blinded by all this stuff that has been programmed in your mind. Uh, And so for, for me, like, I think, yes, the cisgender community could be waking up and we're living in a different time. And there's all these other positive stories of trans and uh, trans women, especially, you know, coming forward with pop culture, but it doesn't necessarily address the inner transphobia because I think there's still that, that possibility of you walking away and be like, I have trans friends now. Um, But you might have it programmed in your mind that because they're trans are different. I'm right. still cis. I'm still, you know, so I don't I could just park that over there and they'll see my trans friends at fr- Pride or, mm-hmm. you know, don't really, really know how to live in, you know, the empowerment um, or create the equity instead of walking yeah. the whole line of we're all equal. So I appreciate that the first one was done here at the Commonwealth Club is the reach is pretty general. You're reaching a lot of different people and across the country where we're going to distribute it. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I think that the conversation is important. And it also wasn't like, oh, here's your script, and please follow this script. I hope that you continue <laughs> that very authentic and genuine approach, because um, I think that'll help people say, oh, my gosh, I've yeah. done that before. I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, because we didn't even touch on finding privilege in the struggle. Because as people, that's we always nice find question. privilege in the struggle also. And I think that's something else to talk about. Because we not and we usually focus on the disparity. Not right. The privilege. Not the but privilege. There's, there's but but privilege. we do find privilege in the struggle. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all. Thank you for coming. Um, to continue supporting... Um, all of the work that's happening, um, Diamond Styles is um, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, it's Styles with a Z, S T Y L Z, and I have Marsha's Plate, which yeah, is my it's podcast. Plate. It comes out every week on Thursday. Um, and then, of course, support the Transgender District um, and tune in to the Michelle Meow Show on Thursdays here at the Commonwealth Club and on Sunday nights. KBCW covering everything from the LGBT and 
element of heat and all things <laughs> in between. I'm trying to get it right, Michelle. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, thank you. Bye. Okay. Diamond got to go. Bye. Bye. <laughs>